Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Who Knows with Brenda McClory. Um, this is the first episode that I'm posting in a little while. First episode since the outbreak of the COVID-19, as I'm sure all of you are familiar um, I had a couple guests reschedule on me for after the uh, the outbreak, whenever that is. And uh, so, yeah, I'm trying to figure something out um, so that I can keep doing interviews while still doing my social distancing due diligence. Um so yeah, working on that, working on getting some episodes recorded for you guys, um, which is why this week's guest is one of my social distancing buddies, my mom. Um, I don't really even know where to start for this episode, um, introduction wise, because we, we got right into it, me and Joan, so, uh. I think you guys are really going to like the episode. Not going to talk for much longer. Let's go. Welcome to Who Knows, Mom. Hi, podcast land. (laughs) What's up? So this is what... I'm going to have to fix this mic. Um... But yeah, this is what I this is what I've been doing for the last two years. Well, year and a couple months. Up in your studio. Yeah. Um. So yeah, what's up? Are you? You said you're nervous about coming on the podcast. Why? Little nervous. Why? Because I don't know who's gonna listen to it, and I don't know what we're gonna talk about. I'm a person that likes to know what's gonna happen. I'll tell you that right now. Why? It's one of my issues in life. I don't think that's an issue. Um, well, it can become an issue because I'm never going to know what's going to happen. And I like to figure out what's going to happen, which I've been told stems from my childhood and always wanting to keep everyone happy and not have any problems so I'm always trying to figure out what's going to happen before it happens so I can prevent a problem if I think a problem is coming so you had to push yourself to agree to do this no no I wouldn't say I had to push myself to agree to do this I I don't know I wasn't nervous about that about doing it just kind of I could think the closer it got the more I thought about well what are we going to talk about? And I don't know. You just didn't know what to expect. Right. Well, this is it. Yeah. It's not very complicated. So far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got, I was with uh, my friends Maddie and Mo and Chavez. You know, know mm-hmm. of them, obviously. Oh, my gosh. This thing's frustrating. Um, and they reminded me that. I had not had a female guest on the podcast oh. yet, so you're officially wow. the first female on well, Who Knows. It, it should be that your mother I comes know. first. That's what I thought, too. But yeah, they're like, um, BMAC, 
just so you know, you haven't had a girl on the podcast. And I'm like, oh, God, that means I'm in trouble. Right. And they're lining up. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> but so, yeah, you uh, kind of going from on that path, the women path, mm-hmm. you uh, I feel like our family is like a lot of like at least your side of the family is very like at least grandma is like a very strong woman and I feel like that affects the family a lot do you think that's true absolutely grandma is a very strong woman um I well I like to think that we're all very strong I think that I think that I'm a lot stronger than I give myself credit for sometimes I think Grandma's a very strong woman who have has survived uh, the death of her husband when her youngest was 18 years old with 10 children, and I think there were probably seven of us still at home when um, Grumps, although we're not supposed to call him Grumps, gr- Grandpa died. Yeah. Um, and then went back out in the workforce and you know, uh, is 90 years old. And, um, yeah, I think it takes a strong woman for her to, and (laughs) there's the fact that we all kind of had our issues and she had to deal with all of that on her own without a a spouse or a partner to, you know, to do any of that with. So, yeah, I think she's a very strong woman. I think she always was, even before Grumps died. I was going to ask that. Did she, did you watch her change at all or was that kind of always... No, she was always, well, and, you know, I can say my father wasn't around a lot, so she took charge of a lot of things from the very, from as long as I can remember. Right. She always took charge of everything because she ran the house. She's she's a cool lady. Yes, yeah, she is. She's pretty amazing. Pretty yeah. amazing. Um. But yeah, that's why I had to I had to rush to get a girl on here because I I don't want to be sexist because <laughs> sure. I, I come from a family of strong women I feel oh. like and strong men I yeah. feel like the McClory's are more strong men I would agree they're outnumbered though a lot of strong men in the McClory side I think you have a lot of male influence on the McClory side and a lot of female influence influence on the Giblin yeah. side it's a good good balance I, yeah. I think yeah um. But yeah, so what's new? Your uh, how's your how's your quarantine going? As if I don't know, and we haven't spent the last <laughs> five days together. together. Uh, quarantine is okay. I'm parts of it I'm loving, and parts of it I'm little. I would I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous about any of it. Um, but you know, it's different. It's different. You know, knowing that people aren't going out and. You know, that if I do go out, I'm susceptible or I might be, you know, uh, passing something along to someone else. So um, just trying to be conscious of it. I think one day we'll all look back and, you know, it will just be a little, you know, spot of news. Like all the other diseases we survived. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So I'm, you know, just trying to be aware, but. I'm not freaked out by it at all. Right. Watched a little bit of the news today with Dad, and uh, there was some poor restaurant owner who was letting people go because he couldn't pay his rent anymore, and the poor man was crying, and I understand the effect, that effect that it has on people. 
Um, I don't know. I think the media is running with it, and I think they're scaring the well, yeah, bejesus you, out you of You haven't everyone. really been watching the news all that much. I do not. I choose not to watch the news. I choose not to read newspapers because my world consists of my home, my work, and wherever I go. That's where my world is. I don't need to see everyone else's world and... It just caused, for me, it causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And that I I choose not to take on all that stuff from right. other people because I understand that there are a lot of people out in the world who are going through a lot of tough stuff. And you know what? I do pray for them, and I'm, I'm aware that those things are going on. It's not that I stick my head in a, in a hole. It's that, you know, I have to stick to what's, in my world and if there's something going on in my world and I could do something about it I do it and if there's nothing I can do about it I pray about it I try to pray about everything anyway but um but yeah I choose not to watch the news or to read newspapers you know with the coronavirus the only thing I can say is I have watched a little bit more news and I will google every once in a while to see what the latest is plus I'm getting updates from my boss in the real estate world because we have to continue to practice real estate. So um, so I'm getting those updates too. So what are you doing to keep that going during all this? For those who don't know, my mom is a badass <laughs> realtor. <laughs> badass. Yeah. Um, well, that for me has been kind of easy. I have a couple of deals going. I'm new. Um, I have a sale going now and a buy going right now, but because before the quarantine started, those transactions had gotten to a point where it was more paperwork, it's very easy for me right now because it's just a matter of emails and phone calls. I don't have to see people, so those transactions are moving along. They're going through, though? Everything's... Everything so far is going through. Um but as far as showings, of course, people aren't calling for showings. I was starting to do a lot of um, commercial showings, and um, people are not doing that, of course, because no one wants to start a business in this right. right now. You know, no one knows. I have a couple of things that were going on, and people were supposed to be sending in um offers for commercial space and haven't heard anything on that so um and i don't blame people but you know we're i believe that the one of the reasons why you know the governor put this executive order out but it says that you know legal services real estate services all these professional licensed services are you know can still practice with some guidelines um, and I believe that is so that we can kind of keep as much of the economy going through right. this as possible. Yeah. Um, financial institutions, you know, all of this stuff, you know, of course. And like I said, it's kind of crazy. I've, I've never lived through anything like this, but, you know, not really knowing what's going to happen, but kind of just going through the motions of it. So I think it's a great thing for you know, for everyone to look at and to, um, you know, to see how it's all going to unfold, you know. What, the virus? Well, no, not the virus, but the economy and, and how everything else is going to be affected through it. 
Um, you know, there's you you can find anything you want to find on Google or on any of these websites about what's going on. You can find good stuff and you can find bad stuff. Again, it's all what you choose to look at. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't really know. I'm not a, I'm not a big news fanatic, so I don't like to say I know all about it. I'm just kind of, you know, moving through the process. You know, as I get an email on a deal and I need to do something about it, I do something about it. Yeah. You know, unless someone is calling me and saying I need to do something, I'm kind of just letting it unfold. I like to say I like to let things unfold. Just kind of one foot in front of the other kind right, of thing. Right. Um what So you've never come off to me as very risk oriented like you're not a risk taker is that accurate would you say i would say that used to be accurate but i am okay a badass that's now. what i was kind of getting to so what started this whole real estate so a, a little background on you you've been a legal secretary for the last what 30 years 30 years 38 years and then what last year two years ago you decided to get your realty uh, license and start selling realty two years ago um walk me through that well um so i mean i guess the bottom line is well and you know i try i've been trying for a long you know i don't know for a long time i've been trying to take a little more risk you know i i trust myself a little bit more um than i used to in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s um but um so the 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 real story is that you, my sister Noreen, read, uh, actually had a book that she was moving from spot to spot that she got from someone at, that she won in a, a basket, a raffle basket. And she moved it from spot to spot to spot and she wasn't going to read it and she was going to put it in the Goodwill and then she, it ended up on her table again and then she put it away again and then she moved it again and, you know, I don't know how many times she moved it and finally she needed something to read on the train and she took this book on the train and she read it and it was, the name of the book is You Are a Badass. And um, after she read the book, she was telling the family about it at a family party one day and she read a couple of excerpts and I thought, I'm going to buy this book. Well, it's just an amazing book um, by Jen Sincero. I'll put a, I'll, I'll even put a plug, plug in for it, yeah. her. She's, it, it was an amazing book. Send her an invoice. Um, but, uh, and it was really about risk taking. It was really about not, it, it was a book really about trusting your instincts and, um, taking a chance on stuff and just saying, I'm a badass, so I'm going to try this. <laughs> yeah. I And I just I just got to love that statement. You like, did. <laughs> <laughs> I am a badass. You I have are. a keychain that says badass. Yeah, yeah. I have a little button that reminds me I'm a badass every <laughs> once in a while. Um, and so that's really what got me to... So part of her book was, and there's two books out, the first book was You Are a Badass, and the second book was You Are a Badass at Making Money. I read the first book, and then her second book came out, and my sister Noreen and my niece Kathy and I went to a book signing at a bookstore in Naperville, and she was there. Jen Sincero was there and, you know, uh, did a Q&A, and um, 
So I bought the second book and in the second book, um, you are badest at making money was really a lot of, um, it was almost like a workbook at the end of each chapter, they would ask questions. And I decided if I was going to do this, I was going to do it right. So I got a little notebook out and I started, you know, answering the questions and, you know, a lot of it, some of it was, um, there were questions and then there were, um, uh, what do they call them? Uh, affirmations. So, you know, a lot of it was affirmations and, you know, all of this and, you know, um, and you know, the thing is the book about making money was more about being a badass than it was be about making money. It was just that, that is the, that was the, um, the proverbial, um, gold at the end of the rainbow, you right. know? Um, but it was more about, you know, what's holding you back from doing this? What is really holding you back? Because the only thing that was holding me back was me. Right. You know, I would like to say that it was, you know, my children were little and blah, 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 blah. But it was really just me. So, you know, that whole you are a badass thing, I kind of took that and ran with it. So there's just a point where you were just like, oh, there's no reason I'm not doing this. There was a point where I thought, you know what, what is it going to hurt me to even try it? You know, why am I not even trying this? Right. Because just like everything else that we just talked about, to let it unfold, you know? Okay, Joan, take the class. See what happens. I took the class. I passed the class. Okay, Joan, the next step is take the state exam. I took it the first time and failed it. Then really? I then I had another, another decision to make. Am I going to take it again? Because you can take it three times. Am I going to take it again? Okay, I'm going to take it again. Took it again and I passed it. Okay, Joan, the next step is um, to um, find a realtor to be your managing broker. Um, while I was in class, the instructor there said, you know, start interviewing um, real estate offices. And um, he said, you're interviewing them. They're not interviewing you. And I kind of liked that. I thought, okay. So I did that and I found some places and I called them and I talked to them and, you know, um, after I passed the exam, the um, managing broker where I'm at now had told me when I called to interview him, give me a call when you pass the test. So I thought, okay, that's where I'm going. Right. Um, and there, that's where I am today. So was, would you say that was more of a um, exercise in taking risk or was it like a passion do you have a passion for real estate or is it I always just that you didn't want to be a secretary anymore a little bit of both actually I always you know anytime we bought a house and you know we bought a place down in Florida I loved the part where we went and looked at places sure I love watching these shows where they're renovating yeah homes. you've always been a big HGTV um so, you know, um, so there was that, that was part of it, but, um, and part of it was, you know what, if I love doing that, why wouldn't I make money at it? Um, and the best part about that is I'm spending other people's money. So it's yeah, awesome. Right. Shopping with other people's money. <laughs> right. right. So I get to go in and see all the places right. and then I say, okay, well, get your checkbook out and we're going to do this. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make this happen. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would say it was a little bit of both. It was a little bit, you know, of a passion, but also, you know, um, and again, I'm, you know, I'm 58 years old. 
I'm, you know, everyone we know is starting to retire. And I felt like I'm not ready to sit home and retire, but I am ready for a change and I'm ready for, I was actually kind of ready to move into something that I could do more or less from my home or my computer if I wanted to. Be more in control. Be more in control and kind of make my own hours too. You know, and if I had something to do in the morning, I could do that in the morning and then do this in the afternoon. And I'll tell you, last spring when I was doing this, at one point I was out on a beautiful spring day going to showings and it was just very freeing being out in my car and not stuck at a desk somewhere where I was, you know, I had to be inside at that computer doing that at that phone. And um, yeah, so I mean, I loved that. I also, as you know, am uh, a legal assistant for a divorce attorney, and that is grueling. And it gets more grueling as the days go on. I'm So that was another thing that was kind of pushing me in this direction. Yeah, I... <laughs> I don't know how how people go into that, like divorce. Well, I and mean, I, obviously it's like the right. Problem, and there's money in it, but but I kind of fell into that because first of all, I the first attorney I worked for outside of uh, secretarial school was a general attorney. He had a general practice, so he did, you know, he did um, bankruptcies and he did personal injury and he did workman's comp and he did some divorce and he did some real estate. So I got my feet wet a little bit doing everything. I knew I never wanted to do another bankruptcy again. I had enough problems keeping track of my own bills. I don't want to take care of yours. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, from there, I went to another firm that was a bigger firm that had, I think they had probably about eight or 10 attorneys when I started there. And I was hired to work for one of the top divorce attorneys there. Um, I loved him. I loved the way he did business. Everyone loved him. He was the settlement guy. So we didn't do a lot of trials when we had a big case. Everyone brought it to him to settle it. If he didn't settle it, it would go to another attorney to try it. So that was where I really got my feet wet in the divorce um, section. Um, Then I stayed home with the kids for a while, got back out into um, into the workforce. How long were you home with us? Oh boy, um, I was probably God. It seemed like forever, but I don't think it was that long because um, you were three. You were probably four when I went back to work. So yeah, probably just about four years because I worked for um, Beerman Sword Love, my second employer. I worked for them when. I had Mary, I was still working for them. I was working part-time and I was doing their billing. And when I got pregnant with you, I they had agreed, and this was in the very Best beginning. Best day of your life, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. This was uh, when they had first started, people first started working at home and they agreed to let me do their billing from my home. Oh, wow. Uh, except that was a lot more difficult than I thought because I had three children now and I was doing my work from about 10 p.m. until about 2 or 3 a.m. So that's when I quit there and I probably, like I said, went back out in the workforce at Kirkland and Ellis at, uh, you were probably four, so um, that was only four years later. That's in the city, right? That was, yes, downtown Chicago. They were very big big firm. I worked nights from five to midnight. 
the first I don't remember you not having a job, but I always I didn't know you actually didn't work for a short period. So how what it was a year or two that you took off? No, probably about four. Oh wow, yeah, I didn't know that. I because my earliest memories is just you working on Western Avenue. Wow, and that was yeah. After I started working at Kirkland and Ellis, I was there for, I think I was there for four or five years. So I was eight. Yeah. When you okay. And um, you know, I I gotta say, it was kind of a badass then, and didn't even know it. But that's yeah, that's. Um. But what happened with that was I was working nights, and Dad and I weren't seeing each other a whole lot because I worked Tuesday nights. If he was at the firehouse on Monday. I wouldn't, he would go to work Monday morning. He would go to the side job Tuesday morning when he got off of the fire department. He would come home at 3.30 or 4 o'clock and I would leave to go to the um, the law office and then he would be in bed when I got home and then he would get up and go to work so we wouldn't see each other until Wednesday evening. Wow. So that was like from Sunday night until Wednesday evening we didn't see one another. Wow. Um, I did not know that. Yes. So um, that when I'm, like I said, I think I was there maybe five years and when that got to be, you know, a little crazy, I sent, so this is back in the day, most of the kids don't remember the yellow pages, but there was (laughs) such a thing and I remember sitting at the computer and doing a resume and forming a letter that I sent by mail merge and I sent it to every attorney in the yellow pages for the Southwest side and uh, for temporary work. Sure. Started working for Charlie Siegel doing temporary work and then he hired me full time and that's where that. Wow. That all started. So that was just side money? That was just because um, well, you were still working in, uh, for Swerdla? Um. No, Kirkland and Ellis, I worked for them for a brief time at night still while I was doing the temp work. Okay. Um, But that didn't last long because then I'd have to work during the day sometimes and then at night. So that was the whole idea was that I would ease out of Kirkland and Ellis doing nights because, I mean, I could have worked there during the day, but I wasn't ready to take that on. That was a whole different world working full time downtown for Kirkland and Ellis. They are huge huge uh corporate real estate attorneys who did work with china and you know europe and so they they had people there around the clock and i was on the second shift there so anyway that's how i so when i started working for charlie siegel then he was big in divorce also and it just kept going from there every job i got after that i was i was going to divorce attorneys because that's what i knew right and that just gets ugly no pretty yeah. much no matter what mm-hmm. yes it does yes it does it's it's and not everyone is like that there are some people out there who you know are willing to part ways without all Am- of that ugliness amicably yeah without all that ugliness but it does get ugly and it's very hard to watch the whole thing sometimes with young kids and you right. know you're seeing it coming from all different points and yeah and that's what I said you know I'm, I've got to a point in my life where I came home from work and it was emotionally draining uh, yeah by the time you get home you're emotionally drained from people who really don't like one another 
and, you know, just can't let go and, you know, move on. And I get it. I know some people can't. I've never experienced it myself, so I can't say I've been in their shoes, but uh, hard to watch, very hard to watch. Yeah, especially because they hate each other, and at one point they loved each other. That's right. That's right. And most of the time, I think the biggest problems come from one of them is still in love with the other one and can't accept the fact that the other one is moving on. It's it's really, it's a very sad thing. Yeah, that is sad. Wow. Um, so you always, was it ever like a question if you were going to work or not? Obviously, you took the four years off when we were young, but like, was the plan always to be for you to work and no. not be a stay-at-home mom? No. The plan was I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And when Matt was born, um, Dad worked as a, he was, I can't remember, he might have been an electrician already at the time. And I had Matt, and I was staying home, and that was the plan. And um, Dad got laid off. Uh, probably, Matt was probably oh I don't know maybe two or three um and so I called Beerman Swordlove and asked him if I could come in and work part-time that's how I started working for them again because I had only been gone a short time so I asked them if I could come in and work as a temp for when filling in for vacations and And dad was laboring right no I think he was an electrician already what was Um, going on that he got laid off I mean it was well because you know, there was the trades, there were layoffs all the time. I mean, they had so many people out there that, you know, if you worked for a contractor and finished a job and that contractor didn't have another job set up, then you had to go down to the union office and sign the books and you had to wait for them to call you again. So, um, so yeah, he, he had to have been, I'm pretty sure he was an electrician at the time, but he got laid off. And so I went back to work for a little bit and, um, and then we never knew when he was going to, when or if he was going to be laid off again. So I kind of kept that, you know, the part-time temping thing, you know, going a little bit. What did bit. he do in the meantime? Because God knows dad didn't sit still. He was Mr. Mom. Was he? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I came home one time from work and he had fallen asleep on the couch. And I walked in and he jumped off that couch so quickly. He's like, oh, 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 let, let me get dinner out And I was like, oh, it's wow. okay. It's okay. Wow. Um, How the tables have turned. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a little, you know, flustered <laughs> that I walked in. And, yeah. uh, but, gone, uh, why isn't dinner on the table? <laughs> he, um, yeah, so that's how, you know, that all started. And like I said, after that, I kind of always did part-time, like at yeah. least temping, you know. Um, yeah, because I definitely, when uh, Mary was born, I was working for Beerman Swordlove again. Well, it was just a money thing, or have you, do you want to work? Like, is is work, is work something no, you enjoy? No, I know definitely. You're good, I know you're good at your work. Definitely, it was a money thing. Um I mean, we had bought the house, you know, we had, now we had a child and, um, and like I said, you know, although he had great benefits always, but, um, you know, we just didn't know if he would be laid off or if he was, and he was laid off quite a few times back then, you know, and you had to go down to unemployment and, you know, that whole thing. And, um, so yeah, it was it was a money thing. We had to do what we had to do to keep making the mortgage payments. I mean, even when he was working, you know, it wasn't always, uh, you know, we were probably overextended. But when we bought our first house, we bought it because 
we didn't want to keep paying rent and not have it go toward anything. We decided we were going to take this plunge and we were going to buy a house and, you know, we would make ends meet. You had Matt before you bought the house? No, no. We were in the house when we had Matt. We bought that house. I remember we moved in and the day that we moved in was Aunt Lucy's and Uncle Bill's bachelorette and bachelor oh, party. Wow. And I remember coming home at the end of the night, laying on the couch with boxes all around, just watching a little TV before I went to sleep. In your house? In my house. Yeah. Our first house. So, wow. Yeah. So they've been married 34 years. That's how long ago we bought our first wow. house. So. Uh, and I was born in that house and moved here. Correct. Yeah. Every one of you were born in that house. Yes. Wow. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. What a what a ride! Now mm-hmm. look at you guys. You're badasses everywhere. Right, we are badasses. Um, I was gonna ask you. I had something, but you were saying something cool, so I didn't interrupt. What uh? Hmm. Oh, um, back to the realty thing. Um. So yeah, you just you decided you and you had an aunt who was a realtor. Right. Dad had an aunt. Dad had an aunt. Aunt Ron was a realtor who found our first house for us. Okay, yes. Found this house for us, sold our old house for us. Um, Yes, in fact, when I first started, (laughs) when I first started my real estate career, I freaked out one day and called Aunt Ron and said, Aunt Ron, I need a mentor. Could you be my mentor? And she said, Joni, you're doing just fine. Well, and how old is Aunt Ron? Aunt Ron mm-hmm. is close to 90. Yeah. <laughs> and still working, showing model homes, sure, I will say. Of course. Um, but yes, Aunt Ron was a realtor for, in fact, she, I think she just gave up her license probably two years ago. Anna said that she did not want to give it up, you know, it was just part of her, and she hadn't sold real estate or done anything out on the street in a long time. Um, she just always liked to renew it every year. So, I mean, she was taking, you have to take a test to renew it. So right. um, she was. She kept renewing it, um, but she did finally let it go, and she still is, uh, she's still working. She's showing model homes out in Plainfield or Frankfurt or somewhere. Wow. Um, what a... Uh what would you say your favorite part of the job is just finding people that are real estate yeah i love being with people you yes i love people and i love meeting new people um you know i was just saying today i found some space for a woman who's a uh, nurse practitioner and she sent me pictures of her office after it was painted and the new flooring was down and i just love that i love that we made a connection and she didn't just walk away and I didn't just walk away and I have a guy that's, you know, opening a business in Oakland and he texts me all the time and is keeping me up to date on what's going on with that. And, you know, I just love those connections. And there are people that I normally would not have ever met right. either. Um, and I, you know, I just think that's an awesome thing. I think there's, you know, I love connecting with people. That's probably about a quarter of why I do this mm-hmm. is because it gives me an excuse to send important people emails and pretend that I'm important too, and then get them in my garage and not talk pretend to them you are yes, important. Right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I definitely agree with you that you're a people person. I think you have a lot of faith in people. Just you, you give people a benefit of the doubt pretty much every time 
Oh, I in think, my experience. I think that's important. I don't think anyone knows. I think a lot of us judge too quickly. And I'm not it, saying that I'm not guilty of it, but... You know, I do. I think everyone deserves the benefit of the doubt until you really get to know a person and know what they're all about. You know, <laughs> they said it at the Kairos retreats all the time and chirp. You don't know a person until you know their whole story. Right. And you know what? I think that, you know, when you get to know a person's story, you I mean, people just love each other a little bit more. They understand each other a little bit more. Yeah. And there's there is a little more love there. Empathy. You know, yes, mm. yes. And, um, and you know what, we can always, I almost always on some level, you can relate to everyone's story at some point in their story or, you know, somewhere along the lines, you will relate to it. And at that point you become softer and kinder and, and, you know, people just seem to, you know, even like I said, with this real estate thing, you know, I have met some people that, like I said, I normally never would have met. And I don't know their whole story, but the bits and pieces that I have heard, it's just amazing that these people are opening businesses and yeah. that, you know, where they have come from and what they're doing. And I just think it's really exciting. I never would have thought, in fact, when I first started doing the real estate and my managing broker does a lot of commercial, uh, you know, I was coming home and I was telling um, dad, you know, um, well, I'm showing this commercial and I'm doing this. And he said, is this what you wanted to do when you started this? And I said, no, it's not. But I have nothing else to do. So why wouldn't right. I learn it? And I'm really grateful that I am learning it because I think it is very interesting. I that's As much as going into a house and seeing a house, I love walking into an empty commercial space and seeing what people envision for it, yep. you know, and... And then to be able, like this woman who sent me pictures, to be able to see what it looks like after the fact, um, I just think that's very exciting. And we need to keep doing that. I mean, how many empty strip malls are there? Right. How many, you know, um, so there's a lot of space. Especially with the corona going around. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of empty space out there, and we need to we need to fill it. And I think there are people out there that are willing to do that, you know, um, my job is just to find the right person for the right space and, you know, let them do what they do. Yeah, that's awesome. I think you do a great job. I would definitely be comfortable calling you for my realty needs. And anyone who's listening, if you have any uh, realty needs, make sure to hit up Joan, what, what's your, uh, Yoraba. Yeah, Yoraba LLC. Yeah, what, what's the story behind that? So you had to register an LLC for... So, yes. So when I started my real estate career, because I am um, self-employed, I it was recommended you so you can do two things. You can either insure yourself. So in case there's a uh, lawsuit against you or you can uh, register as an LLC so that they can't come after your personal assets. So I decided I was going to do the LLC and, um, you know, you have to come up with a name. And I kept thinking, okay, what are, you know, I was interviewing everyone. What do you think I should call yeah. it? I was asking my mom and my sisters one day and I don't even know what we, so uh, one day, of course, you know, badass, it had to have badass in it at some point, yeah. right? Cause that's how this all happened. And I thought you are a badass. You are a bad ass. You're Robba. So it's why you are. No, it's not. It's U R A B A. So you oh, are okay. a badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. U R A B A. So, um, 
Yeah. And <laughs> it's funny because I love it. My um my checks from my managing broker are written out to Yoraba LLC in the bookkeeper at the office. She could not remember my sure. LLC. She kept writing the checks out to Joan. And I still have never told them what it stands for. Yeah, yeah. I haven't gotten that far yet. I want them to be more comfortable with me and well, know. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm a badass. <laughs> right? I need them to know my sense of humor before yeah, I tell them. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, they're going to think I'm a little prideful. Yeah. Um, so, yes, that's my LLCs. You're Raba. You are a badass. I love it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, even though this is one of the more structured interviews I've done, I oh. would say, just because I keep having questions for you. I didn't think I'd have this many questions mm. for you, but I do. Um, I want to talk about, like, being parent, being a parent to your kids. Um so like we talked about, about like risk and stuff, obviously I have been taking risks with a lot of things, especially career wise in the last couple of years. I want to know what that's like for you from a career or from a parent standpoint, well, other, other than terrifying, probably. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's terrifying at some times, at some points it's um, scary hard to watch um in what way just seeing well i don't have money for gas that kind of thing right and you know thinking about you know how long will this take before you're you know up and on your feet and yeah, yeah. um and i understand it can take a long time um and you know i i will I, say you guys have been absolutes uh, you couldn't have handle it any better you are dad yeah um well so, i mean yeah. you know we want to support you and what you do right um you know it wasn't the way either of us were raised either i mean oh i know <laughs> um so you know and and i think that's Wait, what do you mean by that though well can you clarify that and what i mean by that is and it wasn't that anything was said in my house i don't know what happened in dad's house but in my house it was just understood that when you finish school, you got a job. Um, and so when I was in high school, I had a job. And the other thing was, it was growing up in a house of 10 children. And, um, you know, my mom didn't work. She was home with us until my dad passed away. She worked jobs here and there. But of course, there was no money there. So I think when I was 13 years old, I started buying all my own clothes. Really? Yes. 13. I was 13 years old, and I remember we worked, my sisters, Noreen and Lucy and Lori Carmody and I worked for a woman down the street who was a um, a public school teacher, and her husband was a Chicago police officer. So they had, they had, they had good money, and we used to go and clean their house for them, and they paid us, and they paid us good money. I mean, four of us would be in there cleaning at the same time, and they would pay us like 20 or 30 bucks per person. Sure. Um, and I remember going to Goldblatt's and picking out clothes and putting them on layaway. And, wow. Um, so I started buying my own clothes at probably about 13 years old. Um, so, of course, then high school comes and all of that. And, and, I mean, you know, my mom, they would buy, you know, winter coats for us and some of the big ticket items. But we did start buying our clothes. So then in high school, 
got a job because you didn't go anywhere or do anything unless you had your own money. There was never money from mom right. or dad no for allowance. anything. Right. You didn't get money to go to the movies or anything like that. Um, so, um, you know, I worked at Ford City Bank and from there, well, first, no, my first real job was at Goldblatt's, which was a job that my sister Noreen had that she passed on to me when she got her full-time job. And that was a Ban a bank? No, um, Weebolts was a department store in Ford oh, City Mall. What's gold, shopping mall. Gold Platts. Gold Platts was a department store oh, okay. in Scottsdale okay. that I used to buy my clothes at. Um, but I started working at Weebolts in the um, infants and toddlers department. Oh, nice. Hey to all you infants and toddlers, Weebolts <laughs> people. Yeah. Um, and. Um, from there, I went to Ford City Bank. I worked at Ford City Bank when I graduated high school and then tried going to Daly College for one semester, which did not work out because I wasn't invested in that. I, I want to talk about that for sure. Wasn't um, ready for college, didn't want to do college, just thought I should do college. And hmm, um, Sounds very yeah, familiar. Similar. Um, and then... Um, I started. I went to secretarial school because my two sisters had gone and they were doing well. And I thought I could, I could do that. I could do secretary thing. So I went to secretarial school from there and left Ford City Bank and started working downtown for the first attorney. So, um, so getting back to your question, you know, um, you know, that's where some of my, and you know what? Like I said, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm not scared. I'm not really worried I guess it's just kind of I want to know when the out like I said to you before I want to know the outcome I want to know when it's going to happen I want to know how it's going to happen I you know of course every parent wants to see their child succeed and do well so that they can have all the things that they want and that they need and um, I don't know how this podcast thing works so I don't know how it takes off or if it takes off or how long it takes off but well this episode will do yeah, very well it's gonna sure. take off huh yeah but um so yeah I mean that's just um that's how I feel about that and when watching my children you know and everyone has their own path you know Matt has his path Mary has her path and you have your path and each one of those paths are very different. Yes. So from a parent standpoint, you know, you look at one and you go, oh, wow, okay, yeah, all right. And then you look at another one, you go, oh, okay, right, yeah, that's different. And I don't know how that's going to work out. So, um, you know, it is. It's the, But that's life and that's how families are. Not everyone is the same. That's how my family was growing up. My brothers worked and made good money and helped my mother out for a while after my dad passed away. Um you know, but weren't in the jobs of their, their dream jobs either. Right. And uh, my f oldest three brothers never graduated high school. Really? No, my uh, uncle Mike Giblin um, went into the service and got his GED in there. Um, my brother Billy uh, got his GED, I think, when he went into the Caulkers Union. He had to have a uh, high school graduation or a high school diploma so I think I believe he got his GED there and my brother Terry went to night school to get his GED oh. and then um, stopped working for a meat packer and went down to the board of trade right wow um, you've never told me what to do why is that you like, mean career-wise yeah 
Like, and that's really the only difference I've seen between you and dad is dad will like hint. He'll be like, oh, this is so-and-so's hiring, you know, just as to be expected. But you've never done that. I think that's interesting. I don't think it's my place to tell you or to suggest what you should do. I think you have to follow your passions, too. Have you ever wanted me to do something? There are. Well, I if you recall... When you were in college and then you went to Moraine Valley and then you stopped going to Moraine <laughs> Valley. And yeah. then I said, why don't you take one class at Moraine Valley? Yes, I do and that. I said, why don't you do something with photography? Because you always have your phone out and you're always taking pictures for Snapchat. And mostly of you. I like you're to think that I put Snapchat. you on this path that you're on. <laughs> So maybe you did tell me what to do. And I listened. No, I think that I was just observing you. That's what it was. I was observing you, and I observed you taking a lot of pictures with your phone. And so that's why really? I thought, oh, my goodness, you always had that phone in your hands taking pictures. That's really interesting. I do not remember. And that's why I told you to take a photography class. I did take the photography class. I know you did, and, and you right. won picture of the week <laughs> yeah. three times in yeah. one semester. And one of them, I think, is hanging around here it's somewhere. In my, it's in oh, my okay. room. You just framed it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I just think it's, you, you've never, I've never felt pressure from you to do anything. And I think that's, well, says a lot. Uh, you know, I've, I've changed a lot. I've changed a lot over the years. Like, if you had known me 17 years ago and you were, uh, 23 at the time I would probably be telling you what to do screaming at me mm-hmm. not maybe not screaming but telling you what to do and because I think I know what's best and I know you know if you do it this way and if you do this you will be okay I don't think that way at all my thinking has completely changed you know I you, you know I listen to a lot of uh they call them speaker tapes and one of the speakers podcasts uh, one of the speakers says you know we had to change our mind. And he said, and I'm not talking about changing your clothes and changing your mind or, you know, I'm going to get up in at seven instead of eight. Right. He means changing your mind. And I think my mind has changed a lot. My ideas, my perceptions about a lot of things have changed. You know, I think that um, people, you know, um, people have core beliefs. I've been told core beliefs and they start when you are very young a core belief, you know, how you were raised, who was there, who wasn't there, who was giving the direction, who was in the background, who was, you know, um, guiding you, who was, you know, and not even guiding you. What were your perceptions as a child? Of what the world is, basically? Of, of like, for instance, I will say this. So my father was not around a lot. So my perception, which was brought to my attention much later in life, was um it's my foot you can um <laughs> you're fine we're allowed um, to shuffle my perception of that because it started when i was very young was where is he why isn't he here and i was told um many years ago that you know when that happens to you as a young child so you know for whatever reason if your father is not home because he's working 
too many jobs or, you know, working more than one job. Or if your father is not home because he's out drinking or if your father is not home because he's out volunteering and or your father's not home because he's a deacon at the church or whatever, that your perception of it is, as a young child, what did I do and why is he not here? Right. You know, and so that perception has changed a lot for me because I understand now where it came from. So again, like we said in the very beginning of this podcast is I'm always trying to figure things out because I want to know how that happened. How did I, how did that perception come into play with me? And, and once I understand where it came from, then maybe, I don't know, sometimes I think maybe that's when I can let it go or change my perception. Yes. Change my perception or not even my perception. You know, feelings are not facts, you know. So, you know, I might have felt this way about it, but these are the facts about it. So now I can look at it and say, okay, well, that didn't really happen that way because the facts are this. So, you know, maybe over time things will change about that. Well, yeah. So what what are your uh, core beliefs, would you say? Or let's start with this. How long did it take you to change your, you oh, said my you changed goodness. your mind? A long time. About Is 17 it, years. Yeah, and it's still I was, changing. I was going to say, as long as I can remember, you've been very focused on self-improvement. Yeah, I think I've, I'm, you know, I, I always, yeah, I would in say. In the best way. Yeah, I'm always trying to improve myself, but I don't think that, you know. My it, go-to gift for you growing up has been a self-help book pretty <laughs> regularly. I, I don't like to say it. it's self-help. I like to say it's, um, well. Psychology? Not even psychology. It's, uh, um, hmm, what do I want to say? It's um, change, just change, you know, uh, being in enough pain to change. So when I'm in a situation and I don't like the way I'm feeling or I don't like what's happening, you know, to take a look at myself and see what I need to change about me because I can't change anything about anyone else or anything else. All I can change is me. So it's a matter of taking a really hard look at myself and that usually entails talking to someone else because a lot of times I don't see what needs to be changed but um yeah I and you know self-help I would say no you know I'm more on a spiritual path I like to say yeah you are very Um, spiritual because um I'm not doing this by myself even if something needs to be changed in me I'm not changing it it's just a matter of praying about it and asking God or you know what we like to say is our higher power to you know, what were you abbreviating it? HP? HP. Yeah. In our family um, group chat, my mom said, whatever your HP is. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, yeah, it's not me that's changing it. It's, you know, a matter of asking for the, for the grace to change whatever needs to be changed in me. I, and you know what? That brings me a lot of comfort, too, because I know I can't do it. I can't do it by myself. I don't have the power to do that. So Why do you think that? Hence, higher power. Because um, when I hear that, that I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I don't agree with it, as weird as that sounds. Like, I... 
what what do I want to say? It it seemed I don't know. I just don't like how that sounds. Like to me personally, I'm like I don't want that. Like I mm-hmm. I, I feel the I I feel the compulsion to need to do things on my own or well. And again, you know, that's kind of like, you know, watching everything unfold is that, you know, there are certain steps and some actions I have to take at some point, like with the real estate, I had to go to school, I had to take the test, I had to do this. But, you know, how much power do I have over the end result? You know, and I mean, you know, maybe the real estate isn't a a great, uh, um, What's the word? Example. Example of that. You know, maybe maybe you and Matt and Mary and your career paths and, you know, not saying anything to you is a better uh, example of that because I don't have any power over what you do. You know, there, there are a lot of things. And even, you know, when I was growing up, there were certain things, you know, everyone's got rules in their house and, you know, this is the way it's going to go and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, my thought process was, always was, okay, there are rules in the house and, you know, we need to enforce our rules in the house. However, when you have teenage children and young adults and, you know, blah, 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 you are not going to be with them 24-7. So you have to teach them, you know, good morals, you know, how to be a nice person, blah, 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 blah. But how much control do you have over them when they walk out the door? None. You know, those are the types of things that I know I have no power over. Um, And so for, like you were saying, you know, with the career path and, you know, me telling you what to do, I I could tell you what to do all day long. If you don't want to do it, you're just going to resent me for telling you to do it. So I don't want resentment either. So why don't I just let you do what you feel is in your heart to do? And then everyone's happy, you know, it's... uh, and you know what? We've got to treat people the way we want to be treated. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. Why would I tell you what to do? I don't like people telling mom. me what to do. I feel like there's a lot of people give like, oh, well, it's my mom or my dad. Or moms and dads think, oh, well, I can tell him what to do because well, I am his mom or dad. And I believe there's her. a very fine line there. And I think it, it only that only works for a very short time, too. Of course, as your very young children... Yes, you need to be told what to do because you need to learn right from wrong. As you get older, that line becomes thinner and thinner and thinner. And again, you're not with them 24-7. How can you tell them what to do and expect them? Because what happens in its human nature, you tell me what to do. I'm going to do the opposite because I don't want you telling me what to do. Right. And I said that a long, long time ago about, you know, so, you know, I, I I haven't had a drink in 17 years. No one told me to stop drinking. I didn't like, like I said, I know I needed to change. I needed to do something to change. Had you told me to stop drinking, I probably would have drank in your face. No one told me to stop drinking. That was my own choice. I made that choice on my own. So that made it easier for me to stop drinking because no one was telling me you can't drink. Right. You know, if if someone was telling me you can't drink, I would have been in their face because I didn't like anyone telling me what to do, especially when I had a beer in my hand. You can't tell me what to do. Were you rebellious? Absolutely. Really? Oh, (laughs) 
You were you just I I mean are you surprised that I'm surprised by that? You were you're just I well I don't maybe I wasn't outwardly rebellious. Maybe I was inward. You know I don't think I wanted people to know I was rebellious, so I wasn't outwardly in your face. You know, but absolutely I didn't want anyone telling me what to do. And that was just it. Like just don't tell me what to do, or was it just no? And I would I'm just gonna act out. Right. And I would never say that to your face either. Don't tell me what to do. Never would I say that to your face. Were there people telling you what to do? Um, yeah, there were some people telling me what to do. Um, and, you know, I, too, had a mother who would tell me what to do. You know, we had rules. And, and you know, I know you, you and Matt and Mary think that we were very strict. And I was brought up. So I was brought up with rules that were strict in our house when I was in high school, we couldn't go and see PG-rated movies. We had to be in at 9 o'clock on school nights. Everyone else got to stay out until 10.30. We had to be in at 9 o'clock. Um, on weekends, I think we had to be in at 10, and everyone else got until 11.30. Um, so, you know, those were things that, you know, when you see all of your friends staying out and your friends doing this and doing that, you kind of start questioning, like, well, why am I? Why do I have to do this? Right. No one well, else has to do this. Obviously, you remember it. It's right. It's in your right. So um, yeah. So yeah, I didn't like being told what to do. Even then, I didn't like the fact that I, you know, I had, you know, the PG movie thing was really that was awkward. A lot of times with friends, like you know. Wait, so PG is. It's so like it's G and then PG and then PG thirteen. Right, right, but back then it was just. G, PG, and then R. Okay. So, like, a lot of the PG-13s are... Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, we were not allowed to see PG wow. movies. That was that was Gibbs? That was Gibbs. Gibbs is my grandma, for mm-hmm. those listening. Mm-hmm. Wonderful woman. Yes, she is. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, that's... Well, how 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 did Grandma have any control in a house of ten people? Like, I mean, she couldn't be telling everyone. Well, what she to didn't. Do. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was the illusion of control, right? <laughs> because yes, we went out, and I mean, we 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 all were, yeah. I mean, so and here's the other part: is she she tried she tried the control thing, and it didn't work. Um, you know, at some point or other, when you're trying to control someone, they just get more and more crazy. I think that's what happened with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and I just said this to someone the other day. So when I was growing up, I had, I remember like in second grade or third grade, you know, there were a group of kids because I lived around the block from the school. And I remember, you know, a group of kids all running from school and coming to my house and playing on the front lawn for a little bit before they went home and you know um and then one day it was like they were all gone like no one was coming by my house anymore and I had my friend next door Kathy Murphy that I played with all the time and she and I were good friends and when she was in fifth grade so I was in fourth grade she moved to Orland which then back then was like the other end of the world yeah um and so she was gone and I didn't have any other friends. I didn't play with anyone at school because Kathy and I were friends 
And so I hadn't really formed a relationship with anyone else. Oh, no and way. I think from the time of fifth grade until eighth grade, I had no friends. And no I, way. I didn't go out. I would come home from school. I would watch TV and eat. And um, in eighth grade, a girl by the name of Pat Brown invited me to go to a softball game or play softball on the team. Yeah, yeah. And then I started hanging out with kids again and I started going out again. And I, I don't know. And I, you know, not to say that I was rebellious or anything then, but I did. I mean, I started, you know, little by little. I was coming out of my my shell um, and I would, you know, come home 15 minutes late or whatever. But I remember one time I got grounded and, um, you know, we used to, (laughs) when we were little, if we wanted to stay home from school, sometimes we would, there would be like the five youngest of us. So Danny, Noreen, Lucy, Joni, and Jimmy, and we'd be huddled in the bedroom going, you go ask mom if we could stay home. No, you ask mom. No, she likes you better. And then we would, we'd, at one point we would say, okay, let's go tell her we'll clean the house if we could stay home. And we would say we'd clean the house and we'd stay home from school. No now, way. That may have happened one time. And right. in my mind, I'm thinking that we always That's did like that. That's like my preschool right. you being late story, right. which we don't have to get into again. <laughs> right. Please. Um, but um, so I would get, so if I came home 15 minutes late and I'd get grounded, you know, I would say to Grumps, what if I clean the house? Can I go out? And he would let me. And, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the end because at that point, in my mind, I could always get out of trouble if I got into trouble. Oh, There was okay. always a way to get out of it. What, just chores? Um, chores. Or just and, kissing ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of. But I mean, too, there wasn't, I mean, like you said, with 10 kids, how much control do you have? How can you keep, you know, and I'm sure you kids have heard it forever from older people is our parents had no idea where we were from the time we got up on and a summer morning from the time we got up until the street lights went on we could have been anywhere on god's green earth and our parents didn't know or didn't worry about it and you'd come home when the street lights came on and have you know dinner and and that would be it for the night but um you know, then the world changed and everyone knew where everyone was. And now everyone is watching each other on their phones. It's right. insanity. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, I, I can't imagine growing up with 10 siblings. That is. It was, I'm jealous of that. I'll say that. I used to want to have 10 kids. Um, Why? Just because. It's, because it was, I loved being in a big family. I mean, I love. I mean, you still do. Your family's blowing your phone up during yeah. this crisis, <laughs> sending emojis and gifts and um, trying to figure out how <laughs> texting apps work. Um, I do. I love being a part of the big family. I used to want to have 10 kids. I figured that my mom started at 20. So I, I thought, well, if I start having kids at 20, then I'll have one every year and I'll be done by the time I'm 30. Well, every year that I was turned a year older and didn't have a kid I was losing one <laughs> yeah right so we lost seven right somewhere along right the way. so I think I was 25 or 26 when we had Matt so um I was but I was 35 when you were born and they used to say that was when women should stop having children back in the day they used to say after that it was a, a danger to be pregnant now people are having them 
my goodness, in the early 40s with that A problems. danger to you or to the child? Both. Because maybe both. that's why there I was got a mo- screw loose. <laughs> there was more of a, um, uh, a percentage of um, like Down syndrome and um, uh, there was another um, disease that they used to, because they used to do testing for it. And in fact, they wanted me to test with you. And I said, no, because it didn't make any difference what was going on. I was going to have the baby because they would test you for it. And then you had an opportunity to abort uh, the pregnancy. Wow. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Well, you and you don't have to talk about this. This might be too personal, but you were trying to have kids for a long time, right? Well, we like had you. Matt and then... Um, Mary's five years younger than Matt. Mary is five years younger. Yes, I did start going through some, uh, uh, what do they call it? I can't even think of the word now. Um, the uh, Not menopause, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> What's the word for um, when you're trying to get pregnant? The um, medical term. Anyway, I started going through some of that. In fact, I ended up. Um, because they talked about, you know, possibly doing uh, in vitro, which was very, very expensive, and we didn't have the money for that. And then I went to a doctor, and I don't remember who suggested him, but they ended up doing a procedure which was called a balloon procedure and um, opened up my fallopian tubes, and after that I got pregnant with Mary. Wow. And then he had you 11 and a half months later. Right, so it definitely worked. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Was it weird having Matt be a five-year-old when you had other kids? Actually, it was very helpful because he was a big help. You know, dad was at work and he'd run and get bottles and stick pinkies in your mouth and, you know, kind of rock you in your little bouncer seat when I needed you to, although he had just started school. So he was in half-day kindergarten when Mary was born and then uh, he was... um, he was in uh, first grade when you were born. So, um, but yeah, it was, he was very helpful. And he just loved the fact that he had a brother and a sister sure. all of a sudden, yeah. you know, after being by himself for so long. Plus, we didn't, he didn't have a lot of friends on the block back then either because we lived on a busy street and he didn't play out in front. And um, so, and there weren't a lot of kids on the block. So that right. was, um, that was a part of the reason you moved, right? Yes, it was. Yes, it was because of that busy street and the kids. After Mary decided to walk across the busy street to, the to, flamingos. See, to see the flamingos yeah. on the lawn. All right. Well, we're at an hour eight here. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, Time flies. Um, I'll give you an opportunity to spit some knowledge to the audience. What What do you have to say to the people out there? You, I know you got something. Just tell them to pray to God or something like that. I don't know. Knowledge. Hmm. I don't know if I have so much knowledge. You're very wise. You got something well, in there. Well, wisdom comes from experience and knowledge comes from books. There you mm-hmm. go. How's that? There you go. So you heard it here um, first. I'm 58. I have some experience, so maybe I have a little bit of wisdom. Uh, What's the one thing you'd want to see more of in the world? We'll end with that. Um, of course, I think for people to accept one another more. And um, yeah, I think that's a really, really big thing. And you know what? I think that people need to stop fighting that so much. 
because you know we all have to live together and we're not all going to be the same people and you know i think i i think it's a great thing that kids your age accept one another a lot more than the people my age accept one another and you know it and it's because they fight it so much and like i said before we've all got a story and if you heard people's stories maybe you would accept them a little bit easier and a little bit quicker and you know what we're because we all we have to you know you have to let people in you have to let them in you have to let them into your neighborhood you have to let them into your heart you have to let them into your your place of business you have to let it you just have to let people in we can't do this by ourselves we all have to you know help one another and it's really really i think i really and you know it, the corona with this coronavirus thing going on you know i said it the other day and someone laughed at me but i was very serious when i said it someone said that maybe the reason that this is going on because you know i'm always looking for the reason is that yeah as we've evidenced in this right. episode yeah. so um maybe the reason that this is going on is because this is god's way of healing the world and you know healing the world by okay everyone slow down Just take a breather yeah. everyone spend a little time with your family everyone step away from work for a little bit it's not important you know maybe that's what this is all about it's and you know what we don't like to think of it like that and but really that's what we're doing right. we're all stepping away from work we're all spending more time with family we're all, you know, slowing down just a little bit. And, you know, hopefully it will catch on and we'll continue to do it as the days go on. How do you combat? Because I feel like the the reason more people aren't compassionate or willing to let people in or blah, 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 is because they're afraid. They, they don't want to. Because that gives someone else the opportunity to hurt them. I think that's how the psychology right? Vulnerability, right, right. So how do you combat being afraid of letting people in well because just like being a badass you know we all have to you know i don't think that you grow unless you are willing to be vulnerable it's a very very difficult thing to do i don't like doing it no one likes doing it but i think the more you put yourself out there and the more willing you are to be a little bit vulnerable and no one's going to jump in and be vulnerable to a huge extent right from the get-go. You know, I like to say, you know, you got to let, you got to take it a little bit at a time. You know, God has skin sometimes and that means that God speaks to us through people. And so, you know, as you take chances and a little chance and be allow someone uh, or or take a step to be a little bit vulnerable and see how it works out you know that's how all of this works no one is going to jump in and be vulnerable with something so huge in their life and maybe some people do i don't um but you know so i always say you know if we could be a little bit vulnerable and it works out okay then the next time will be a little it'll be a little bit easier to be vulnerable and Practice. maybe you'll be a little more vulnerable absolutely absolutely and you know that's the only I think that that's like I said getting back to people you know let someone that you don't know in 
You know, take a chance on saying hi to someone in the grocery store. Smile at someone on the street. Say hello to the person in the in the elevator. You know, instead of Give you know a corona bump. Yeah, instead of flipping someone off when you're driving, smile at the person in the car next to you. Sing a song when you're driving. I love singing when I'm driving. Yeah. Sing a song when you're driving. And, and and keep the windows open. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah, that's I'll be quiet now. I'm now I'm starting to ramble. No. That's amazing. That's exactly why I asked that. Um, all right. Well, thank you for coming on. I hope it was a good uh, initial experience to the podcast world. Goodbye, podcast world. <laughs> um, all right. Signing off. Yeah. See you guys. <laughs>